Hey guys, welcome to Content Candy's new, new show. It's kind of an old show. It's uh, Cinema Bias with myself, Video Drew, and Alex Mack. Please enjoy. Check us out wherever you can find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, what have you. Like and rate and leave a review. That's like a thing you can do on podcasts. And make sure to also check out patreon.com backslash video drew to find out ways that you can support this channel, which is growing. Okay, end of thing. Uh, starring starring me, Video Drew, Drew Grant, and one of my, and my only co-host for this show, the lovely Alex Mack. How are you, Alex? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm just, I, I was just reminded, like, there's sometimes, like, random people that assume that I'm, assume I'm a guest and not a co-host. No, that's not true. You, yeah, are, you are the co-host of the show. I'm not here every week, my dude. <laughs> like, I don't know if you know. If you were a guest, my God, how much money would we owe you? Like, so I, much money. I just remember it's like it was like being per I'm like perplexed when someone like refers to me as a guest. Who does um, that? How many times has that has that happened over the past two years? Yeah, but it don't matter. Um, matter. Guys, we are talking about a very special movie today. Can you guess what it is? It's a movie that I had not seen until very recently. Alex hadn't seen until this week, I believe. Today. Or today. I watched it like this morning. It's yeah. not a big deal though. Mm, it's not like it's not like this movie is like famous or well known or like it's not like anyone likes it. And so I feel like it was okay to miss for a really long time. And that is, of course, Casablanca. Yes. <laughs> a movie that is totally cool to leave. Sorry. Definitely not one of the most iconic non-war war movies of all time or I mean, most quotable movies. Full stop, not one of the most famous movies of all time, one of the most quoted movies of all time. Yeah. One of the most some of the most iconic characters and backdrops of all time. It feels like it's totally cool to miss this film. It does feel pretty edgy to not see this movie comparatively. Yeah. It's like it's, uh, I always, uh, I feel like it was on Twitter for a while ago where it was, it was a, it was a Twitter trend where it'd be like hashtag popular movies I have never seen. <laughs> Most of them. Like it would be like major movies. Like Winston uh, recently put out a list being like, I haven't seen the movie E.T. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you miss E.T. Yeah. So, um, but you know we can't obviously we can't see every single movie we can do our best to watch as many movies as possible obviously but things are going to slip through the cracks inevitably priorities man it also i think depends a lot of how you grew up and that brings us to the concept of this show you're watching cinema bias guys uh please drop a like a follow a comment and if you have a, a thing you want us to read out loud or have read out loud for us to hear please donate uh streamlabs.com backslash video drew 
Uh, that way it'll be read out loud, or you can just put it in the super chat and we'll also see it. Um, every dollar helps. So that's like the, the housekeeping out of the way. But uh, Cinema Bias, Alex, is the show where we literally talk about our biases for and against certain films, why we've seen certain films, why we've avoided others. I know what mine is for Casablanca. Oh, really? What about you? Well, I uh, I just started watching a lot of classic movies. Well, stuff like classic movies like last year and in past few, well, not last year, but over the past few years. And I have very limited knowledge on Humphrey Bogart. I think I saw, I've seen like only two or three Humphrey Bogart movies and mm -hmm. even less Ingrid Bergman movies. Um, probably so. Oh my god, yeah. I was just reading a profile of her in the New Yorker and I was thinking, I don't think I've ever seen another movie with her. Yeah, yeah. She, I mean, she's had a pretty wacky career. Well, yeah, she's, she stopped making films like at 36. Yeah. Well, it was like, yeah, she was blacklisted for a very long time, unfortunately. And she, when she did come back into Hollywood, she ended up winning an Oscar, I believe, in the 70s. Um, and I think that was for Murder on the Orient Express. I'm thinking Greta Garbo. I was like, wait, the person I'm talking about just stopped acting. I'm thinking oh. Greta Garbo. That shows me as that shows as much as I know about old timey actors. Whoops. No, I've never seen Ingrid Bergman in another film either, though, guys. As mm -hmm. obvious from the fact that I cannot tell her apart from Greta Garbo, I guess. Um, so, are you just like not a fan of classics in general, or you find them hard to relate to, or? Um, I just knew it was. I knew very little to nothing about this movie other than it takes place in Morocco, Casablanca, Morocco. Yeah. And I just knew it was supposed to be about these lovers that look at each other longingly. And it takes place during a war period. That's all I knew. I, I didn't know anything about the stars. I didn't know about the making of this. I didn't know um, how mega popular it was like i was talking with some people earlier today and they're like yeah it's one of my favorite movies of all time and i was like seriously and <laughs> i was flabbergasted not so much of its popularity but how i scratched that actually at its popularity for a lot of people that are younger mm -hmm. which i was very surprised about right yeah now. uh i will say that um my biases i don't i find it very hard a lot of times a, with my ADHD, just to, like, get super, like, non-distracted by a film or not, like, you know, want to be doing eight other things. But B, like, old films in particular, I kind of do have this bias where I'm like, how much is this going to speak to me and, like, my condition or, like, the condition of, like, the life we live today? When so many films, just by the nature of the way things have been the last few years, so many films are still kind of pretending like they don't exist in a universe that we actually exist in. Like, I find it very hard to relate to most like cinematic material for some reason tv is not a problem but like movies i'm like guys come on like your problems are small stakes compared to like the problems that i'm currently living through or our generation's living through and old movies i think particularly have this 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 feeling to them and this was true before covid of course especially before covid of like especially if they were movies about the war or about the holocaust or about nazis being Jewish myself, I've just always felt like I can get a free pass to not watch those films because the yeah. horrors of like and the atrocities committed by the Nazi party is not something that I want to like bring my epigenetic ass to like and like get like somehow like, you know, traumatized by some subconscious memory of, of my predecessors. You know, like I just 
I just don't want to bring yeah. that shit into my head. Like even reading about like the Nazis, like makes me really, really upset. Um, and like, does they do think that like epigenetics, which is the belief that like memories are stored and like passed on from parents to children, even if they can't, you know, not, not like not like visual memories, but like feelings and and and, and vibes and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, memory is stored into different places and can be passed down genetically. Mm-hmm. I do believe there's like an inherited trauma that comes from like the Holocaust for if you're a Jewish person yeah. and like they've done double blind studies where they've taken twins who have been separated from their parents by birth. So didn't even know they were Jewish and uh, had them like level, you know, measured their anxiety and found that, you know, the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors generally had like a lot more anxiety than regular kids, even if they never grew up around their parents or grandparents. So I felt like that gives me a reason to be like, I don't want to see Sandler's list. I just don't, I don't want to watch like, yeah. Munich. I don't want to watch any movie in which there are Nazis, uh, like doing Nazi shit, or there's concentration camps, or, or you see even this movie, which only deals with Nazis sort of tertiarily, or like the, the Nazis are there, but they are not like the focus necessarily of the mm-hmm. film's core sh- struggle. Like uh, they are there as more of like an implement, like a, yeah. like a MacGuffin. Um, I still have a really hard time with it, especially in a couple scenes of this this film. But I have to say mm-hmm. that this movie, I had no problem relating to. The characters were so dynamic. They were so vibrant. They seemed to pop off the screen. And mm-hmm. uh, I got to say, I've got kind of a thing for Claude Rains now, which is weird. Ooh. I did not expect that from you, Drew. Oh, My girl. God, he was such a... He's so good. Like, that's the kind of character that I'm into. Even though he's like... <laughs> Basically, a template of like proto Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards. He's like this amoral, yeah. go whichever way the wind blows, uh, like mm-hmm. inspector. But like, he's so fucking funny. Like, he's playing this movie as if it's a comedy, like as if it's a straight up comedy. He's just like, he's almost, yeah, he's almost like he's, very flamboyant in his movie. Very flamboyant. Like, he's, uh, he's, he's I think he, in particular, yeah. feels like it's a, he's a, he's a, character for and that's playing in a different movie from everyone else yes he yes didn't get the memo yeah and then, no but like i think he understood the argument. i think it's kind of like christoph waltz and glorious bastards where he brings this sort of like like jovialness to a character yeah. that like yeah. poses a huge threat to the characters uh to our main like love interest and therefore like they're the more entertaining and fun and the more you like like them because they're fun to watch like the more you are like oh no they are dangerous and these are like mm-hmm. this is like a dangerous character like there's that really great scene because he comes off as such a fop but like where he's in mm-hmm. sam's club and he's like getting everyone arrested for gambling and he's like i am shocked shocked i say no, i can't believe there's gambling and then like they like here's your winning sir and he's like okay shut it down he's like yeah <laughs> yeah he just takes the money and he's like and it's like that's played for laughs that's supposed to be a funny line, but it's in a very serious movie about how this character is like willing to like work with the Nazis because it like benefits him. It's well, it's a very interesting period of t- I mean, a uh, time period um, for these people just because it's in technically it's in um, uh, French territory where mm-hmm. um, the mainland France, mainland France is actually being occupied, obviously, by Germans at that point. But obviously, Morocco and Casablanca in particular aren't, but they're like, there's definitely this overtone where it could be changing very, very soon. And everyone's scared, panicked, and they want to leave ASAP. It's like everyone's fighting to get access to these visas to go back to, go back to, or just go to America where 
seem safer comparatively. Mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> yeah, watching this movie, I was actually really curious what you thought, because I know you said that you've had a hard time watching classic movies, especially if it's in black and white, because you have a hard time relating to the stories or finding it not as finding. I find it stiff. Yeah. Well, I especially find the female characters in a lot of these movies, not like pre-code. I think pre-code, you got stuff like Mae West and you have people being like, come up and see me sometime. And like, they were very sexual and like, very like, you know, but then there became this very period sexual. of time, like post, uh, like, uh, sorry, during the code where it was just sort of like, everything was so, you know, like everything was subtext and all the female characters were supposed to be like a certain kind of like idealized version like of a male screenwriter's fantasy you said recently yeah. you just watched sunset boulevard which i think is one of the few like few films that i've seen of like a black and white time period where i'm like yes like that is what i want to see whatever happened to baby jane is another one like a lot of these like mm -hmm. you know betty davis is like an anomaly here and so is uh joan crawford but like a lot of the, they started in a lot of like kitchen sink weepies as they were called at the time, like Mildred Pierce and a lot of stuff that like, I just will never relate to. Like I just, their, their cloistered claustrophobic existence uh, while sad, it's not something that like, I really feel that interested by. Um, so you're yeah. left with like a bunch of dude characters who act in ways that are thoroughly inappropriate a lot of times only to get rewarded by it. And so like, I'm just like, I don't, I don't like that this guy like grabbed her ass and she was like, oh, you, Bert. And like, he was like, yes, that's right. We shall get married now. That's just doesn't, yeah. none of that speaks to me. And like their, their big qualities of women during this time. And I think this comes off in this movie too, is like, they are devoted. They are like loyal. They have like really no autonomy or if they do have autonomy, that autonomy is undermined in some like major way that like, they aren't really, they aren't free actors. Uh, yes to like do what they please, they kind of have to go along with, they're always asking guys what they should do. And they're sort of always leaving it in guys' hands what they should do. And uh, I find that like really just sort of like inherently uninteresting, like just for the most part, even yeah. if their stories are sad or tragic or, or compelling, I'm just like, well, you know, it fucking sucks to be you. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, it, yeah, those movies are, it can be, that's, I absolutely agree. It can be very, very difficult to watch some of those movies. Not only just because it's very it can be very hard to relate to them, mm -hmm. the characters and how two dimensional they are. A lot of them yeah. written as at that time, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I felt like, and it's not just female characters too. I want to say like Rick, like Rick. Uh, this is my first Humphrey Bogart movie. I think. I think I might have seen Maltese Falcon uh, when I was in mm -hmm. like college. You never, wait, you've, never, you've never seen Sabrina. Oh, I have seen Sabrina. I have seen the original okay. Sabrina. But like okay. honestly, he's he doesn't do it for me. And like his characters don't do it for me. <laughs> and like honestly, Claude reigns over this guy like any day. I'm just like, that's an old man. He kind of reminds me of like kind of he kind of had this Harrison Ford vibe where I'm like, he doesn't really want to be here like active yeah. today. <laughs> he also he's like I was like asking some people in the chat. I was like, I don't know how this this man was a movie star. I don't understand how he was like a sex god in movies way back. I don't understand how he made it to set every day when he seems like, so thoroughly he, uninterested he in was, taking a part. So, um, he like because to me he looks like a cartoon character. To be honest, he looks like Joe the like, Camel. Yeah, he looks. He reminds me of uh, was it Jay Leno, where like his head is like a third of his the size of his body. He's, he's got a cereal box head. 
it's it's he's all head and that's a, he's all head that's what she said context people <laughs> but he's he's such a he is he has like such an interesting face but he's not a traditionally handsome man but Nor do i need him to be for me to be interested in him like claude rains is also not traditionally handsome Absolutely. it's just like he's fun man uh for sure but you also if you're gonna be doing if you're gonna be if you're gonna put that character, that uh, actor in a certain character, I you don't really see him, uh, like Humphrey Bogart as with his features as like someone that's playing, say, um, like a, a male model. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I think he was supposed to be like a. I think the appeal of him was that he was sort of like this man's man. He was sort of like that. This weird. He was sort of like the Adam Driver of his time, I guess. Like, you know, he didn't look conventionally attractive, but it was like those strange features, those outsized features that sort of made him, I guess, compelling to watch for some people. I, I found his performances to be rather like son sonnabulous. Is that how you say it? Like, it feels like he's just sleepwalking. People what feel that? like there there's some, some uh, it's uh, spelled S-O-M-N-A-B-U-L-I-S-T, somnab somnabulous. It just means like a sleepwalker. Oh. Uh, so it's just a... Uh, he just and I'm pronouncing it wrong, but he just seems like he's just kind of reading his lines. Like I know that this story is supposed to be so compelling, him and her, and like how you know, here's looking at you, kid, and yeah. out of all the gin joints in all the world. But that just seems to me like it was really good writing, and like I don't find like his delivery of it especially compelling. She's she's yeah. putting in a lot of work to make this love affair seem real. He's just kind of like, hmm. yeah, Ingrid Berkman. I feel like she's doing it's. She's doing so much work. <laughs> to oh, really she is. She's chemistry in this movie, mm -hmm. and it's actually it's really funny because apparently, supposedly, Humphrey Bogart, um, at at the time he was when he was married to his uh, first wife, she believed she came to the set sometimes, and she would look at this chemistry and she'd be like, "He's cheating on me with her," and he's like, "Dude, I don't like her at all." No. Yeah don't even talk to each other outside of the scenes and she's like i don't believe you so she'll come to set every single day being like no your chemistry is too on point i mean i guess i guess and i would say that that's just a jealous wife but quite honestly it seems like a lot of people feel that way like that they have great chemistry i yeah, i got nothing from him all that much i got nothing from him like nothing not in the character who like lets her go i mean for a good reason but like he does just kind of like kind of shrug her off uh you know, yeah. you're supposed to believe there's this sort of like under, there's this, this simmering stuff that he's not saying, that there's these feelings that he has that we're not seeing him express. But like, I don't think he's very good at conveying non, like the, the conveying these emotions. Like he's not a very emotional actor. He's not. I think what he's, I, I think what he does do well is he plays moody. He plays, he plays subdued where he's like all about, it's all about the acting. Like, He's a real, I think he's a good reactor in theory, but he is reacting to a lot of the same things in his movies mm -hmm. where he's playing a detective. He's playing. Yeah. It's like, he's, he's, he's just a he can do one thing. At all. Yeah. He's got one thing and if that's, I'm cynical, prove me wrong. Oh, that's, that's, that's it. But it's like, that doesn't work today. Like, I feel like even the crop yeah. of like, not even younger actors, but let's say like the crop of like Chalamet and logan lerman and like or like the stranger there finn wolfhard it's like these kids are showing at such a young age such an ability to do ranges like to show like a call me by your name versus like a dune which 
the character in Dune is very like straight laced or like not not yeah. emotional. But then like you get Lady Bird, like these kids are showing us that they can play. They're so much more in tune to their emotions. And maybe this is again just a uh, thing of the time that men yeah. were not supposed to be that in in touch with their emotional states, and that's not what we want from our actors. But like, I, yeah, I think it really kind of depends on. Well, there's, I think there's a lot of different types of actors nowadays. Now, there are some actors, like you said, especially if you're a young, up-and-coming actor, such as Finn Wolfhard and Timothy Chalamet and everything, where you do have more opportunities to play a larger variety of, of different types of characters because audiences don't really know what to do with you yet. They haven't decided whether or not they like you all that much yet or invest in you as an actor that they want to watch a lot of. Well, I think, but, I think that's, that's um, part of it. Yeah, versus someone like, look at Jerry B, Jerry, Jerry Butler. <laughs> he is, I think he's, I think he's a fun actor. He's, a, but the thing is, especially the past like 10 years, he re, he knows what he's doing. He knows exactly the kind of audience. Wait, what? Jerry oh, B. Butler, Jerry B, you mean Phantom of the Opera, Jerry B? Yeah, he started off doing certain movies, like like you said, a fairy from the offer. But now he does a lot of B movies. He's doing like Machine Gun Preacher. He did Geostorm. He also did a bunch of rom coms with Catherine Heigl, right? Or was it not that not that many rom coms comparatively? He does a um he does for like every three or four action like you know what? Yeah, I I see what you mean. He does. He's basically Gerald Butler is basically. I've always thought like a. Maybe like not like low rent because I don't think it's like yeah. that he's a low rent version of him because I think this person is a low rent version of themselves. But he's like Russell Crowe light. Yes. Like he's like, he, you know, they're both singers. They both like have this thing. But Russell Crowe, I think, is a good example of someone who I find kind of like, uh, although I do think Russell Crowe can be really good and compelling and stuff. But I, th- I feel like he's sort of of that ilk of um, of Comfrey Bogart where it's like mm-hmm. he plays stoic really well and we're just going to yeah. give him that. And like mm-hmm. he doesn't need, and so and this is like you know a product of the studios. The studios would used to make these contracts with actors, and yes. they would just be like, "This is what we're investing in you, and you're going to be in movies that are just MGM movies, or just Universal, or Paramount, or whatever." And that's you know we own you, and we're going to put you in the kind of roles that people have come to expect to see from you. Whereas mm-hmm. today, I feel like it's very much like about how how much can you play against type? If you've gotten really famous for one role, your next move should immediately be. Like if you're Harry Potter, your next move should be to play Weird Al Yankovic or like in Swiss Army Man. Or if you're a Nat and Alex Wolf, your thing should be to do pig and hereditary. You know, like it's. I would love for that to happen. However, I do think that like for a lot of these actors, actors like the ones that you just kind of described, someone like Daniel Radcliffe or that went from being in the wizarding world for over a decade of his life and his young life to doing a lot of these other movies later on, uh, Machine Gun, like Machine Kimbo or whatever it was. Ar- 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 Arms of Kimbo or number uh, Guns of Kimbo. Yeah, Guns yeah, of Kimbo. Yeah, about that. He was in uh, that really sweet rom-com, um, like. Adam when, Driver. Yeah. Um, yeah. That with what, if, what if with Adam Driver, um, um, most recently he was cast, like you said, in the Weird Eye Yankovic uh, <laughs> biopic, which is going to be a delight to see. Mm-hmm hopefully but he's he, he's in a situation in particular where he is he was such an international star and he's established franchise but he's not in a situation where he needs the money 
Did Humphrey he Bogart need the money? Whatever the fuck he wants. Sure. Whatever he wants. And he, and he picks projects based on what his passion is. Similar to like Elijah Wood, where he's Yeah, I was going to make an of Elijah Wood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Elijah Wood was, was, was a child actor who was doing stuff as a kid before he even got Lord of the Rings. I'm talking mm-hmm. about someone who breaks out kind of like in a in a Russell Crowe way, like where they break out in adulthood yeah. for a role that get they get sort of cemented into. And then... I feel like if you were part of the studio system and they were like, okay, so you can only play gladiatorial figures. That's your whole thing from now on. Or if you're Oliver Reed, you're always going to play, or Claude Rains, you're always going to either play the bad guy or like the weird, like shady character off in the side. You know, like it, that's, it's typecasting was just like the expected norm instead of like, you should always be playing against type. But I, I I I love it when actors do play against type to challenge themselves and also challenge us as um, the audience. But I also do think it's also fun where an actor where they it's clearly they enjoy working with this genre, this type of story. Like Patrick Wilson, for example, he has played in dramas like Little Children, and he has played in like action. He's in the mo- movie like Moonfall, coming up with Halle Berry, like this weird sci-fi action movie. Um, but he also loves loves being part of the horror franchise as well. Also, and, fan of the opera. Just yes. saying. Yeah. He was also and a fan of the opera. And he just loves working with Jane, uh, like, yeah, fan of the opera as well. Same, same fan of the opera that Gerald Butler was in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's just where it's like, yes, I, like, yeah, I could just be, like, the go-to guy forever with making horror movies. But the thing is, I really love making these horror movies. I love these stories. Well, but it, yeah. Want to? Ch- but the thing is, doing these horror movies, you know, he's going to make a certain amount of money from studio. But, but I don't know exactly what 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 the point is about the money. But I do think that like the thing about Patrick Wilson is again, he got sort of famous in adulthood, and it's not like that. That's not how Humphrey Bogart is. But his most famous thing is that like, and I think the big tweet about him that it's that this sort of sums up. Let me see if I can find it exactly. It's like Patrick Wilson is the most famous person that you never like that you, that you don't know his name like i think yeah. it's a little bit less true now but like let's see uh three uh famous i think it's like the famous tweet about him is he, um yeah yeah, yeah. okay i found it so it's like he, he's responded to it by the way um yeah, he says um the tweet was this mother up it's really funny it's a picture of three patrick wilson photos it says this motherfucker really said i'm gonna be in a million movies but absolutely refused to be famous <laughs> like that's <laughs> That's, a, he looks like a bland white guy. He doesn't have yeah. any like, particular distinctive features. Well, and because of that, he's able to do some awesome shit, which is like he can play very like the hero or he can play the, the an extremely bad villain. And sometimes he can play the same thing in the same like movie mm-hmm. or two things in one movie. Like he can be the hero of the Insidious franchise, but also spend the entire Insidious 2 like being evil and possessed. Yeah. Uh he, you watch him in Hard Candy, and his performance in that is so amazing because you're never like, is he the predator or the prey? Like, it is, he can be anything. Like, he can be such a innocent figure, like, in Young Adult, where he's sort of like, he's sort of like the, the patsy, you know, to her, like, obsession to him. Or he can be someone who's very, very, uh, who's, like, just sort of handsomeness kind of belies a, yeah, like a predatory nature. But mm-hmm. Bogart, I feel like you, maybe it's just because, again, I think it's probably just how the studio worked. And they didn't have as many films coming out as there were. And there weren't as many movie stars or even people that were journeyman actors. But when mm-hmm. I look at someone like Claude Rains, and I just think, okay, so he was already in The Invisible Man, right? He's That was his big famous yeah. 
thing. And like, you know, so he was a universal monster guy. Um, this role for him just feels so great to watch. Like that is a performance where I'm like, this guy's not trying to be a celebrity or try to be famous. And no one's asking him to like have that sort of responsibility on his shoulders. And in doing so, he can be like Christoph Waltz or like he can sort of do this performance that is both silly and threatening and you never quite know where you're supposed to land. Whereas it feels like the the two main characters are kind of stuck in this, in this like, we are the heroes of this story. Let's, let's do it. Yes. I think that that also that mindset regarding characters that they need to be in a certain box is not only incredibly limiting to the creators of the movie, obviously, but also it's like pretty boring for the audiences as well, because it, let's face this, obviously it creates a third formula that's not only predictable, but we're like, why would we want to watch it? Because we know it's going to happen. <laughs> um, versus I think with this movie, what I think is really, really unique is not only the release date, because I mean, because it was during the war. Yeah, it was released during the war in the early mid 40s but we were we we're still in process of recovering from the war and no I mean, this war was still happening wasn't it when did the oh, war okay. end? i can't remember the exact date yeah it no it, this was still during <laughs> still during the war still? oh Shit. Yeah, well, World War II was still happening. During the war, we didn't know how to respond to movies at this time. And Warner, which at the time, apparently the president of Warner was actually very one of the very vocal anti-Nazi um, uh, and specifically anti-Nazi um, film studio presidents at the time. He was like he was like making speeches and everything, talking about how awful the Nazi regime was and starting in the late 30s which is pretty fantastic yes yes and to, to like make a movie that not only takes place in real time with with not in a that actually includes characters and places that are real and could be real obviously the yeah. are real this we don't know if this is an this exact scenario is real obviously well it, it was to the extent that like um you know the the sing the the song scenes in this movie where people are singing like the, the there's two scenes where people are singing like anthems where they're overshouting the nazis and singing their like mm -hmm. anthems the reason that those scenes are so effective is because yeah. the extras everyone who's in that crowd scene was a refugee who was escaping yeah. Nazi Germany, Nazi occupied France. So mm -hmm. that scene like really was not even acting. It was just an authentic emotional experience. The same mm -hmm. scene, uh, the same with the scene where the woman's singing uh, mm -hmm. a, a song in French uh, and everyone's crying. Everyone's crying because they literally uh, have been, they're, they're the same experience that the characters are supposed to be in. Mm -hmm. And that is like a really interesting thing about this movie. This movie, uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of, a Hollywood studios, even if they were anti the war, which of course a lot of the head of the studios were Jewish. So of course they were anti the war, but they were really, really scared to, to yeah. delve, like to delve in the subject of Nazis, just because especially early, early on, they didn't know which way the wind was going to go. And they didn't know if their, their movies would be allowed out in Europe, if they like had this huge anti-Nazi message or, or, or pro Jew message even. So there was this movie, um, it won the Oscar. It was called, um, Get the name of it, but it's basically about a guy who's pretending to be Jewish. Uh, Cary Grant was in it. Guys, help me out here. Um, and basically, they didn't want to show it. Like they they didn't want that movie to come out. Like the studio almost nixed it because they were like, "This isn't going to play well overseas. We can't have a main character that's Jewish." 
um, even though the head of the studio might be Jewish. So this movie was sort of like a fuck you middle finger yeah. to the Nazis, willing to show the Nazis is not just being like a, you know, like a, a force that like America was against, but like a force yeah. that like, you know, morally everybody should be against, that they are, you know, th the whole story was sort of focused around the escape from them. And, and the main character is not a Jew character, or sorry, the, the guy she's married to isn't a Jew. He's a dissenter. Like he is somebody who is, actively like a rebel a rebel and like i think that's it's a really cool element of this i mean it would be like making a movie today Ugh, i don't want to make an analogy that's gonna get me in trouble but like it would be like making a movie today that like a lot of people don't want to make because they want the money from these overseas markets that like make us a ton of money i'm not sure if you saw the thing recently about like how that's the ending of fight club in china is <laughs> apparently they get to the end of the movie and right before the building blows up and you just witness the downfall of society they cut to black and there's a little screen that says, and then the cops showed up and arrested everyone. And that's just how Fight Club ends in China. <laughs> like that's the Chinese ending of Fight Club. And, you know, we hear all the time about like the censorship in, in certain countries about like, you know, uh, uh, homosexual kissing or like, you know, any of these subplots, like they get cut or they get hardcore like changed. And I think movies like this really took a stand against that kind of uh, censorship. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy to think about how that, like, whether it be themes of homosexuality or, because um, I know um, another one in a lot of countries in Asia, Southeast Asia, China, I know as well, um, like, you can't, you can't, you're not supposed to have a movie that involves someone that's of the undead like you, there's no zombie movies you're not supposed to or if there are zombie movies they're not like essentially called undead they're like considered something else well that's uh, because like, of a cultural reason right isn't that just like culturally we have a different like we have different laws for how they operate um it's not so much that but there's like there are rules for how you depict depict the the dead essentially yeah which I thought was very interesting that and like a lot of um, a lot of Middle Eastern countries like you like you have to be very careful about how you portray those 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 countries if they are depicted on screen at all um, but like, I know like apparently in a few countries in the Middle East there's one or two movies from the Transformers franchise that was not allowed mm -hmm. and I'm not entirely sure why but also they are like um, a lot of countries around the world. I mean, it's, I mean, in Europe and South America and everything, they're very, they're okay with sexuality. What they're not okay with is excess violence. Um, which, whereas here in the U.S., it's the exact opposite. We're very prudish comparatively, but we're all about the violence. You can have a crazy violent movie such as The Dark Knight, which is a movie about terrorism. Mm -hmm. And still be rated technically PG thirteen, but it is like rated R, rated X in mm -hmm. other countries around the world because of the the themes of violence. Yeah, and I think that that's like you know speaking to a certain uh, sense of like a, a structure of values. Um, I think specifically this movie taking a stand against Nazis and being like, yeah, the people we're we're not going to be able to play in Europe. Like the Nazis are running Europe. Like they are not going to allow this movie to hit the theaters. And like, but taking that stand, being like, that's that's fine. Okay, it's more important to have a movie that says the truth about what's currently going on in the world right now than it is to make money off of it uh, necessarily, or like to make a per work of art rather than than making a work of 
franchise uh, box office, I think is like pretty, pretty great. And like speaks to, you know, speaks to a, a lack of cynicism. Well, I, something I thought was very interesting about Casablanca in particular is that for a movie that features so many characters that are vocally unpatriotic in particular, mm-hmm. they're going to get by, survive. They don't live in the country. They don't consider themselves American or French or anything all that much. Mm-hmm. But when push comes to shove, they're like, we are 100% this. And we're like, fuck you guys. You're not mm-hmm. Fuck you. We're going to, we, you Nazis are a group that's coming into our world. Nazi. And we'll be okay with you being in our cafe. And we're going to look at you weird and everything. Um, and if you're going to ask me if I am a French citizen or if I consider myself an American or a patriot or anything, no, absolutely not. Because I'm just trying to survive in another mm-hmm. country where it's very difficult to get a hold of a visa and escape and survive. And I think, you know, like right now, like, you know, in the sense of like what, what feels like relatable and relevant this movie yeah. was surprisingly, I was like, oh yeah, no, but this is how I feel about, <laughs> this is how I feel about like my patriotism or whatever. Like I do, like this is weirdly relatable, probably mm-hmm. not for like the greatest reason, but like it, this, this feels like a lot more relatable than a lot of movies that are made today, but like take place in some fictional universe where like today isn't happening and the world yeah. isn't the way it is, you know? Mm-hmm. I think, well, in a lot of movies, we, in a, in a lot of movies, at least American movies, patriot, patriotism is a very big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, being vocally a patriot, I consider myself American, I'm a soldier, or um, like go to America, all that, all that good stuff. Yeah, all of our movies are just like America is, like when we, yeah. when we even have characters going to other countries, it's always like they're silly and we're not. Yeah, exactly. And there's this idea of us versus them. And we're superior because we're American. Yeah, and it sucks. And yeah. it's not true. More importantly, it's just not true. Like, I have never been less proud to be an American than, like, this fucking period of time. Yeah. It, it, but things, it is weird. Because I remember, like, when I was studying abroad when I was in college a few times, I remember being in Italy and I was like having conversations with my friends that um, that were like French, Russian, Italian, a whole bunch of stuff. And they were like, oh, my gosh, you Americans are like so this the X, Y and Z. And they would criticize a lot of the stuff we have. And I'm like and I, my first thought was right away, right away was like, I can say shit about my country. You mm-hmm. can't say shit about my country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And yeah. I'm like, and I, and I can't, and I couldn't help but have that mindset initially until I had to kind of break that down. And and there's a lot of things where I was like, I hear your criticisms and you're absolutely correct, but this is why it works for us. Like mm-hmm. I remember them criticizing like uh, why we don't use public transportation all that much. And I'm like, yeah, it sucks. It doesn't. But I mean, like, it's because we're incredibly big country and we're spread out and a lot of people live in the suburbs and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. So yeah, not everyone wears bright spikes. <laughs> it's not necessary. But I remember having that mindset and having having that just clicking for me. And I was like, I got to break this shit down because I'm not superior to these people in any way. But I wondered why I kind of developed this mentality when having conversations with people from other countries, when, in, when I was in another country, which is a horrible <laughs> and stupid... <laughs> mm-hmm 
mindset to have, pretentious mindset to have, for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, when this movie came out, uh, it was kind of a rushed production. It was, it was rushed uh, post-production because they wanted to time it to the release of the Allied invasion of North of Africa, which yes. happened like a few weeks earlier with that. So they really mm -hmm. were trying to capitalize on like what was going on at the time to the point that they were like changing around the scheduling to like be like, America's about to invade someplace. Like we probably got to get, get on that before it's over. <laughs> you know, they don't want to put this movie out. You're on uh, time. After that. Yeah. They're on a, they're on a ticking time thing. Uh, but it's, it's funny. This movie did okay. in it's box office. It didn't do crazy. Like it didn't, it yeah. didn't do gangbusters. People expected it to do modestly well. And it did do modestly well. And uh, even like the New Yorker said, it was just pretty tolerable and it was not quite too, uh, up to across the Pacific, Bogart's last spy fest. Uh, it made two hundred fifty-five thousand uh, dollars in ten weeks. That's equivalent of three point two million dollars in two thousand nineteen. Um, that's that's not that much. So the entire earnings, full total, would have been like forty-seven million dollars. Um, that's that's not that much. I think what Scream made that on its opening weekend. <laughs> like, like seriously yeah. like yeah like scream made that on his opening weekend and that's still not even as big as the last spider-man movie um and, like i don't think i don't know if this was considered like an indie movie at the time i don't know if no. it would make a lot of money but i'm sure obviously like you said earlier less movies were being made at, at the time and more audiences and uh, sorry not more audiences but audiences were going to the theaters much much more like sometimes multiple times a week like three four times a week and movie th and movies would stay in theaters for months um sometimes a better part of a year if it was successful so it's and hence that's why a lot of movies are like crazy uh, when you adjust for inflation and it's like like we wouldn't like none of the movies that we have like Endgame or any of the Avengers films or anything like that. Titanic would be in the running if we had just a lot of these classic movies for inflation, like Casablanca, not Casablanca. Do you know Probably that uh, wind and everything was it a Oz? Mm -hmm. Do you know this movie was released uh, heavily edited in uh, West Germany in 1952? Oh, All the scenes with the Nazis were removed. All references to World War II were removed and plot points were changed. So Victor Laszlo was no longer a resistance fighter who was fighting the Nazis who escaped like a Nazi concentration camp. He was a Norwegian atomic physicist who was being pursued by Interpol after he broke out of jail. Oh, that's, uh, cool. that's just raw. Um, you just changed Look, the entire movie, my dude. I mean, this but, movie was also like meant to capitalize on the fact that like there was about to be the Casablanca conference between Winston Churchill and Franklin Roosevelt. And uh, they actually banned the movie from being screened in North Africa because they thought it would cause like resentment uh, among the Vichy supporters in the region. So it's it's funny like this. They, this was a gamble, but it was supposed to be just like a solid studio film. It was not like like the New Yorker review of it is literally just like it's not even as good as this to my mind, unknown Bogart film. They were like, it's good, it's fine. Like it was like basically like, uh, not even like the Matrix Resurrections. It was like, it was tolerable for people. It's it's really kind of funny to think that how it was initially received and how it's revered now. Um, similar to even back then, the script that we now think of as like one of the best movie scripts of all time it was like by afi did like a list of like some of the best scripts 
of all time. And it was like in the top five, it was like number two or three or something like that. And they have like, they have apparently for, they have more quotes than any other single movie. And as far as like the top quotes in movie history kind of thing and compare like more so than any other film in history. Mm -hmm. uh, to be on like the best quote, quote list kind of thing. That's really and, interesting. Like uh, Roger, so go ahead. But back then it was like considered almost like a laughably, laughably bad script considerably. <laughs> like Humphrey Bogart, he, he criticized him and Ingrid Bergen would criticize on the set all the time about how, what a bogus script this was, about how hard it was to work with the script and when in the 80s it was like in the 80s or 90s um the studios actually sent it out under a different title asking for people's thoughts on the script for some reason and everyone like everyone commented on it like how it needs more sex scenes <laughs> this is a this would have to be completely rewritten this is like a completely bogus script this is like laughably bad and Little did they know what they were referring to, but I I do kind of wonder if people like a lot of people really actually generally like this movie because of how it's revered, or if people are if or if people actually don't like the script and is it is was it just because of the actors and how amazing they were mm -hmm. rather than just the script itself. Yeah, I mean that's a really good question. I think that like it it's it's hard uh because again, it's such a product of its time, but it seems like it became more popular the farther away it got from its time, like yeah. the more time. But it's not like people had an adverse reaction to it. In fact, like the thing that made yeah. Casablanca uh, according to Roger Ebert like probably on more best uh best movies of all time less than any other film including Citizen Kane and what in his mind mm -hmm. is uh he says Citizen Kane is the better film, but but uh, Casablanca is more beloved. And that's because there's less to criticize about Casablanca than there is about Citizen Kane. So there's less individual elements that you can like point to and be like, this is not like a perfect piece of filmmaking. Uh, whereas uh, Citizen Kane, there's, you know, it's, it, it's a craft and it's a masterpiece, but some people can like take issue with various parts of it because it does, it's almost like Casablanca in its, in its sort of appeal to the most common sort of, expressions uh of yes. the human experience whereas citizen kane is very unique and singular and about this man like this titan of industry this this yeah, this one man, singular yeah. individual whereas like the, the idea of casablanca is literally the the populace the the collective yeah. um, in, in the middle of which there is a love story it's much more relatable the act it's there's it comes down to a love story mm -hmm. and with with uh, Ingrid Ber Bergman, who is absolutely fucking stunning in this movie. Um, <laughs> compared, yeah, and you're right, Citizen Kane. I feel like I love Citizen Kane. It's a, I think it's a solid movie. It's a great movie. And I understand why it's so historical and considered the best um, or one, one of the best films ever made. But it's definitely a movie that I feel like you have to be in the mood for. It's not a movie that just anyone can watch or just relax and find comfort in either like you have to be searching for something specific like you have to kind of go in with a motive and to watch Citizen Kane a little bit you can just casually be like 
yeah, you know what I just want to watch today? I just rather want to watch a good movie that just all it all around. I'm gonna watch Casablanca. Well, honestly, that's what I that's what I would have thought before going into it. Now having yeah. seen it, I'm like that movie put me in a better mood than I was in before I saw it. But you know, again, this is like the Claude Rains of it all. Like I just found it so. I know it's not the part that everyone focuses on, but like because everyone's played against Sam and out of all the gin joints, and it's really about the romance and it's about the inspiration that you can take from these story. But my God, if I just wasn't watching that movie for like that inspector and just being like, oh, like when at the end when he's like, this is the start of, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship or whatever. I'm like, A, what are you talking about? That guy is a fucking amoral sociopath and he has proven it time and time again. He's literally only being like being nice to you right now because he thinks there's something to gain. He called the Nazis on you an hour ago. He literally, an hour ago, he called the Nazis to come stop you. But fine, it's the beginning of a beautiful friendship. But I just, I love that. I love everything about his, his pit, like his takes on this, so like the, the choices he made. So yeah. good. And I, it's put me in a good mood just to watch a character that is that dynamic that seems like he come with, almost like transcends the time period where everyone else is sort of gloomy and acting in this kind of silted, very theatrical way. And then you get this weirdly loose sort of like a, chaotic neutral he's you know crazy character he's doing what he can to survive he is but he's enjoying himself too he's enjoying it yeah yeah no absolutely i absolutely agree he but thing is he's also he is he's he's being in his mind, he's being a realist over the situation. He's like, I got to make good with these Nazis. I got to make good with these people because I don't know who's going to win, but I got to be on the on the side that wins either way. So I got to figure it out. Well, he's also like, but he, he's, he's just not even pretending like he feels bad about it a lot of times. He's like, when he shows up and like, that's just the perfect embodiment of it is the scene where he's like, comes to shut down this casino and he's like, you know, that's illegal. Oh, I'm so shocked. I'm so shocked. I say, and then someone comes and hands him over his winnings and he's like, anyway, let's wrap it up. Like, it's just like such a comedic beat that's supposed to show you this guy is a fucking like liar. Like he's what just doing mean? whatever he wants. Yeah. And look at this, compare these two faces together and be like, <laughs> which one of these seems like a fun character to watch in a movie? Yeah. Or, I would, which I, character I, would Drew like to see? I would love to see him part of like if, if there was <laughs> like if he was actually in uh Tarantino no um like ocean like if he was like part of the oceans franchise like yes. ocean, like oceans 11 or something like that I would easily love to see him like be a thief and be like try to like oh. talk me into certain things and oh he's totally trip. yeah and also he totally yeah. fits into the Marvel like, villain do being yeah. a thief and manipulating people like I would love to see his character like somehow work his way into Interpol and get away with shit yeah <laughs> like, I just think that, like he is the definition of like a good like somebody that we could have just put in any movie today because this archetype is like that of a Loki he's like that of like one of these Marvel villains that like start off evil and by the third movie he's a good guy like yeah. he's so perfectly amoral but there's something like that you love about him and I'm sorry I'm spending our whole Casablanca episode just talking about how interesting I am yeah he it, not to mention I think his character in particular he is his character in particular in spite of being a Nazi sympathizer that works with them that helps them get shit done he is not only one not only my favorite character in the movie 
but also he's a I feel like he is a necessity to the movie because he adds a certain lightness somehow mm -hmm. considering what he's doing. Mm -hmm. like, he has a certain lightness and that's very necessary to the character, to the film, to the tone when everyone else is like really moody and dark and everything. Mm -hmm. And he's, I think he, he's a really great reactor as well uh, to Humphrey Bogart's moodiness and darkness and same as Bergman and everything as well. Oh, Jalastrina. <laughs> Dominic, he would also, can I be honest, straight mm -hmm. up, Claude Rains belongs in this Fast and Furious franchise because he's like one of those bad guys who starts really? off super bad. He's he's exactly like um what's his name uh not Bruno uh we don't talk about Bruno no like who's the bad guy from number four who like comes back and he's not good yet but you can tell he's like veering on the getting good side. Uh, Bruja Bruja Bruna I forget his name but he's like the bad guy from four. You know what I'm talking about? He's got this little sweet angel baby face and he's the bad guy. Anyway um. Nerdcronic is asking, do you say a bit of Peter Falk energy? No, because I don't think Peter Falk's played that many bad guys. And Peter Falk was like so much his own thing. Like he was so sort of, he could only kind of play Peter Falk type characters. Whereas Claude Rains is like, he's big Loki energy. He's big Tom Hiddleston energy. He's big like uh, mm -hmm. character actor energy, which I'm really into. I personally, I know who Peter Falk is, Raga. but I haven't seen that many movies Raga. to be, be honest. Well, it's TV he was very remember. famous for Columbo. So that was like the yeah. TV show that got yeah, him really I famous. Seen, I haven't seen Columbo. I haven't, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I mean, like, I haven't seen anything. I'm like, pulling up his IMDb page and yes. side of The Princess Bride. Um, I got nothing. <laughs> Wait, that guy's the first name is Arthur Braja? Like, well, that's innocuous. Oh, no, no, Arturo. Arturo. There we go. Braja. I was like, Arthur Braja is a weird name. Arturo Braja. Uh, he's going to turn good eventually. Claude Rains would be a good Mr. Nobody in the Fast and Furious franchise. Yes, but like you would have to believe that Mr. Nobody would be willing to turn on a dime. Like This is a world in which Mr. Nobody could be possibly evil, and you're never really sure where he is. He is he's like the opposite of a Thanos, but he's like very much in the... Um, you know what he would be good at? At playing uh, the character that's eventually going to be Kang or Kong the Conqueror or whatever his name is. Like the guy who uh, yeah. jogged the major players yeah, yeah, who showed yeah. up. In, oh. Yeah, the guy who showed up at the end of Loki as the the, the one at the end of time or whatever. Uh, that kind of character where he's sort of like whimsical and like weird, but you can't trust him. Like it is sort of like what Christoph Waltz, I think, is styling into in like mm -hmm. uh, in Glorious Bastard, which is like that is so fun he's evil you cannot trust him even if at the end of the day he like stopped the he helped stop the nazis he yeah. did so out of self-interest and he killed a lot of jews before that absolutely and so i just keep thinking like it takes a certain actor it takes a very particular special actor in order to so perfectly make me okay with him somehow oh like, yeah Oh yeah, I wanted every scene to. I wanted him to be in every scene, and every time he wasn't in scene, I kind of checked out. Like, TVH. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, honestly, pretty much. It, it felt like every every scene that he's in, he just he makes it. He improves it. It makes it that much funnier. That much more. Yeah. That much more interesting somehow, or dynamic, just to have on screen. Just because I think he's such a good reactor again, and where he's just like. 
where everyone else are just so subtle and he's just the extremes. Like, yeah, so this is like I couldn't find one gif just encapsulates, but here's the two gifs. Like, like he does this like it's a joke. He's like, I'm shocked, shocked to find out what the gambling's going on here. Next, like very next moment, it's it's this line. It's uh it's this guy. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Everyone out at once. Like he's just like, just same breath, not even trying to hide it. He's just like, Yep, I'm shocked. Nope. Taking the money. It <laughs> speaks to the corruption in like a hilarious way where he's it's yeah. played like it's comedic a comedic beat. And I loved it so much that I think that's when I fell in love with this movie. Quite mm -hmm. honestly. So yeah. that's basically what I want to say about Casablanca was I, uh I'd watch a whole spin-off about Claude Rains. I would I, I not only would not just want a whole spin-off regarding him, I would love to see more of a buddy cop situation than yeah. Like doing weird small crimes, or I don't know, like uh, like crying for the greater good. Where yeah, and he's always going to be the inspector, stealing from the rich. <laughs> he's always going to be the inspector, so he's always going to have to be the side of lawful good. But then to be a chaotic lawful evil, or lawful evil rather. But like he can be chaotic lawful something. I guess I I don't know. Like it's such a crazy character. I love it. It's the beginning I, of a beautiful friendship. Imagine how charming you must be that you sell somebody out to the Nazi party. They come, they almost get you guys. And then five minutes later, the guy's like, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship because you're offering them a way out of town. Like, imagine how charming you have to be that no one holds a grudge against you for calling the Nazis on them. And that's how good he is in this movie. <laughs> like, he everyone, can call the Nazis on you and you'd be like, I don't know, man. Like, you seem like a good guy. <laughs> And and not just call the Nazis where you're like, oh fine, I'm like no, he called it. He took the initiative you. to call the Nazis. Yeah, it's not just tolerating their presence, but like actively having a friendship. Yeah, a back and, like a healthy back and forth with this person. As he's well. an opportunist. He's an opportunist. Like, and it's the same yeah, as like, Hans Landa. He's like, he's going to go whichever way the wind blows, and he doesn't yeah. feel bad about it. It doesn't like keep him up at night. It just is what it is. You know, like it's how the world works. But like, he but does it in so fun. You gotta, yeah. you gotta <laughs> admire somebody who's taking that much joie de vie out of life, especially if no. it's World War II Nazi, like a uh, Nazi occupied Morocco. Like you yeah. gotta, you gotta be taking that fun where you can get it. You know what I just thought of? Like the perfect movie remake. If it, that would be, well, not movie remake, whatever. But um, if Claude Rains was in a classic version of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Mm hmm yeah oh god yeah he'd be great you know what i'm talking about with steve martin and michael yeah. which one would he be i can't even think he'd be good in both roles i think he'd probably be the michael Caine role i i would i can yeah that's what i thought initially as well but i can easily picture him in either one just because he is so funny but now mm -hmm. i just really want that movie i'm like i, I want, want claude rains in every fucking franchise i want claude Claude Rains needs to, yeah, he needs to be like the new character in a Marvel film. Like he needs to be the new bad guy who then turns good at the end, like at the in the next Marvel film. Like, he needs to be Loki's the, IRL dad. He's like the Catwoman of classic. Oh yeah, let's put him in Batman too. Batman with no like. No, he if he was a Batman <laughs> character, he'd be like he'd be like not Gordon, but he'd be like somebody that's that's more on the you know he'd be Harvey the other Harvey, not Harvey Dent, Harvey like trash Harvey, Harvey Bullock. Trash Harvey, oh the one who God. like works within yeah. the GCPD, but like he he's not uh, Commissioner yeah. Gordon level good, but he's like kind of good, and he's yeah. kind of bad at his job, but he's like a good-ish person who just no. is incompetent. Yeah, 
Yeah. And he's just oh. like, he's just like, he's just eating donuts and stuff like you're right there. Or, or he's Two Face. <laughs> yeah. Or, 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 or alternatively, Riddler. Yes, or Riddler. Dagan, are we just going to keep saying Kurt Russell roles and being like, that's what he is? <laughs> I don't know. Like, Galacticus is not him. Sorry, I was thinking of Ego. I was thinking of Ego. Who's Galacticus? Who's, who's Galactus, that dude? Um, Galactus is uh, essentially he is a god like being. Have you seen Eternals? Oh, is that what it is? Oh my god, yeah. Okay, the big, know, the big monster it's thingy. Similar in concept, but it's uh, but Galactus is essentially is a go- is a gobbler eater of worlds. Isn't that what it's, ego is? What? Isn't that what ego, the Kurt Russell character in Guardians Two, is? Isn't he an eater of worlds as well? Ego, as I think he was a celestial. I think I maybe. But I know. Oh, no, isn't he a planet? Isn't he actually a planet? Yeah, uh, he is a planet, but he can make it up to whatever the fuck he wants to be. Well, I thought like the celestials are born out of planets. They aren't actually planets. Wait, I'm so confused. Well, I think I'm confusing it with this thing from the Transformers. Of planets. From the energy harvested on planets. And when they sprout, the planet yeah. dies and celestials take all their energy. Come on, nerds. What, what, Galactus is a legend but, and an awesome call sign. Yes. But creating more worlds. But then, like, what is the yeah. thing that um, Orson Welles was in his very last role in the Transformers animated series? He was like a cannibal planet, right? That's like I thought what Ego was. It was like a cannibalizing planet. Not something that was planets, you know, born out of a planet, but like an actual planet. Yeah, had a physical manifestation. Big old ball of energy. It's yeah, Marvel Comics is a weird place. It, it really is. I'm it's harder maybe, to put him in DC, I think, because of that reason. It's what? It's harder to find a role for him in DC because, like, they don't have those as much more. I mean, he might be a good um, uh, what's his name? The bad guy in Superman. What's his name? Which one? You know, the big uh, Lex Luthor. He might make a good Lex Luthor. He could have been a good Lex Luthor, a sort of vain, um, you know, venial. Yeah, okay. sure. Um, Lex Luthor to me, like when I think of what defines Lex Luthor, um, the thing is, I not only vain, but he is incredibly, he's incredibly intelligent. He is incredibly charismatic. He is he is a character people follow. He's a leader. He's, he ends up becoming the president at, at, at some point, <laughs> and um, he ends up becoming like friends with. Superman, knowing like he's really manipulative. Um, yeah, hey, he's like a business leader. I would see him as like an Elon Musk if we were casting day. Less Jesse Eisenberg yeah, as uh as doing Musk. the Landis role and more like Elon Musk. Elon Musk comes across as a doofus though. No, but he's like very, you know, he's very like uh well putting yeah. that aside, Claude Rains can play doofus, but like putting that aside, exactly. the idea that he could be Zod is interesting because Zod is like a sort of self-serious character that doesn't know when he's being funny. But he is unintentionally very funny, like oh, in some parts. So fun, yeah. Here, here's a fun game. If we were recasting Casablanca today, mm-hmm. who would be in it? Um, would it be um with using modern actors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Contemporary actors. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Just the cast of Yellow Jackets. Let's let's start with let's go with this uh, character by character. Okay, so who's gonna play um, Ingrid, Berg, Ingrid Bergman? So what age was she when she was in this? I Crocs? have no clue, but I'm gonna say late twenties, early thirties. God, people like aged so differently back then. Okay, uh, so who is around that age? 
All I want to say is Christina Ricci, who's 42, but I just want to put her in everything now that Yellow Jackets has yeah. been out. Um, okay, how about I, someone like... Ugh, who's going to be serious? With, go ahead. I'm going to go with... Um, because I think Dagan Broad, he actually made a really good... <laughs> She's saying Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah. I'm going to go with Rebecca Ferguson. She's older, though, isn't she? I don't care. She's still fucking stunning. She could have yeah, a lot yeah. of Absolutely. Or, or alternatively, oh, she's Elizabeth Olsen. Uh, I would say Elizabeth Olsen's good. I was going to say Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Also uh, fantastic. Um, and there was um, another actress. Who did I want to use? They're both like, like very classic, beautiful as well. Mm -hmm. um, for I want to just put Zendaya and everything. Put what? Zendaya. I want to put Zendaya in everything. Like, like she's just like she's amazing. Everything she does, she kind of has that energy too, where it's like everything she does, right. you can just notice her immediately. And you're just like, she can play serious, she can play like Euphoria, or she can be doing something like like mm -hmm. like Mary Jane, and you're just like, I will buy it. I'll buy whatever you're selling, ma'am. I absolutely agree. He, she uh, she's just like one of those actresses that's so um charismatic and you're just drawn to her on screen. She has just one of those amazing energies for sure. Um, she, unfortunately to me though, whenever I see her on screen, to me, she feels like a baby. Like I look at her and I feel like she's, she's still young. so young. She looks like she's, she, I like, I can't see her in a fully adult mature role. Yes. This role really a, adult mature role. I guess she is married and it's like, it's doing something. Maybe like, maybe like a bond era or bond age person. You know, because yeah. like I, this film kind of feels like Eva Green's character in Casino Royale oh, a little bit. Oh, Eva Green. Oh, shit. I love her. And she would kind of work because she's actually like French-ish, you know, or like yeah, right? French. Yeah, she's French and English, I think. Yeah. So I feel like yeah. that's right. Um, mm -hmm. I think she's great. Yeah. She has a lot of, she's a little bit older too now at this point, but I think she feels like she's the right call for this. Like Marion Cotillard maybe too, but like. I don't like yeah. Marion Cotillard that much for some reason. Yeah, she's a yeah, she's an interesting character. I um, just don't like her. <laughs> I yeah. totally get it. Overall, I mean, like, I mean, age and stuff aside, I think all of these actresses that we kind of discussed um, would be awesome in the role. Okay, well, over to Rick, played by Humphrey Bogart. Do you have any suggestions? I mean, my first thought is just like, yeah, it's an Adam Driver role, uh, but you know, you could do someone else. It just feels like, and I know it's an easy one to go to, but like. Adam Driver just feels like what this guy is going for. Like he's supposed to be like kind of weird looking, kind of like staying out of it. Kind of like, he's not like necessarily like, like the hero that we traditionally think of, but he's the hero that we got. And he's sort of like, you know, kind of fed up. Like if it was a little, a couple of years ago, I would have said someone like Josh Berlin too. Like he, he kind of has yeah. that like stoic cynicism. Yeah. 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 Like, it, like I would be reminded of some of his, like roles like from the 2000s like no country yeah i could also um, see it being like someone like javier but again yeah, maybe just a little yeah. bit old um if we want to go the younger route i would also say jonathan majors again because he's really fucking i was also going to say jonathan majors because my god did you see him in uh the dead not the dead dead guy what's called the harder they fall my <laughs> god said, okay but if we're going to be if we're going to be recasting actually speaking of uh, Captain Louis Renault, played by Con uh, Claude Rains, his character. I was actually going to be like, like Keith Stanfield. 
I mean, we would really have to change the plot of this movie. The other ones you can have, I think, colorblind a little sure. bit, but like you can't have that character. That character has to be a white dude, right? He works for the Nazis, right? Well, like that, just, well, just like, hypothetically. Yeah, sure. But he, it, it does take place in Africa. He's considers himself someone that he, 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 he doesn't really look at what's going on around him and he doesn't like apply it to himself. He's like, that's over there. I'm like doing whatever. He sure, is- but the idea of the Nazis entrusting him, I feel like it just it, it it. I feel like unless you want to substantially change the concept of this movie or kind of make it uh, anachronistic, so it doesn't take place in any specific like real world situation, which I think is to undermine the value of like some of the scenes that we're talking about, like the scenes of like the people crying while like singing the yeah. national anthem. Like you, you kind of need it to be grounded a little bit in that realism. I, I think he could, I think he, somehow he can make it work. Honestly, I um, just love like, Keith. It has to be changes, absolutely though. I would say I like Christoph Waltz immediately comes to mind. Uh, I would like to see somebody like an absolutely silly person do it. Like give it to Bo Burnham. Like he showed that he was really good in a promising young woman. That he could sort of flip on a dime and go from like like funny goofy to like to like kind of like uh, sinister. Um, or like someone like Adam Brody, like someone like that. Like, yeah. Fred Armisen. Fred Armisen is a little too goofy. I can't see him being like, I, like actually in any way, like sinister in a way that you find believable. Like you have to believe that this guy is like willing to be Bill a threat. Hader? Well, Bill Hader, I, I personally can see it happening. Oh, Bill, um, Bill Hader would be good. I think uh, that or who is the other guy? The thing is, again, you would have to really kind of change up the tone a little bit. I can't remember his name, um, but he's... He was like one of the first like uh, Asian actors, Asian cast members of SNL. I can't remember his name. There's only one. There's only one Asian cast member ever on SNL, and it's the guy who's on right now. Um, Is that? Oh, I I thought there was like another Asian cast member before him, but mm-hmm. um, well, forget me. I can't remember his name, but he's done. I've seen him do straight man skits, and he is like. He's such a great reactor and he really turns it up and he's hilarious. He's really great. Bowen, Bowen Yang? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Bowen Yang I might be good. Happen. Not again. We would have you, you would have to change the you would have to change some things up a little bit for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do like uh give it to John Mulaney. Give it to like somebody like, you know, I would like to see it more like give it to a comedic actor and then let us see that he can actually be scary. Rather than give it to a like serious actor and let us see that he can be funny, I'd rather like let's play against type. Let's make it a comedic actor and make him scary. Like make him turn. Huh? What do you think? About, what do you think about Jake Gyllenhaal? Jake Gyllenhaal is obviously you're you're never gonna get me to be like no on Jake Gyllenhaal, Mr. <laughs> Music. Yeah, like Jake Gyllenhaal is a perfect one. Like that we could just yeah. call it there because Jake Gyllenhaal can play very funny, very silly, and sometimes like very sinister and also simultaneously he can be both sinister and very silly like nightcrawler is the perfect guy to cast in this role exactly. that is because he's like you know he's ridiculous and he says silly things and the way he says them is silly but then like you do you have to take him as seriously as a fucking car accident that he's about to have like he is terrifying even more so because he comes across as so silly so i think you nailed mm-hmm. it i think it is uh jake gyllenhaal mr yeah. music Something I think is also kind of interesting about the casting of this movie is that a lot of the movie, like you said in the earlier scenes, uh, when doing the, the the big sing-off in the cafe at the restaurant. Sing-off. That's um, a funny way to describe it, but it is well, a sing-off. It's a sing-off. I mean, they're trying it's like, to like, it's like, like a pitch-perfect scene. I love it. 
bam, 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 bam. Yeah, yeah, it's like <laughs> riff yeah, exactly. Off. Yeah, it's a riff off. Yeah, exactly. She's got thoughts like a thought. What? What? <laughs> no. Yeah, he's like, you got the magic. I mean, it's just, it's oh just Ben Platt. Oh my God. We see that you know who's in that scene? Who's in this thing off for the the male acapellas? Is uh, the Schmodown's own David Del Rio. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you get some, you got some several real life uh, Packers football players in there that oh, sing really? Brutal Witches that apparently were real fans of Pitch Perfect. I mean, the in the first one? No, in the second one. Oh, the, in the second one. Oh, yeah. Uh, damn. I mean, dang. That My German God. guy from, that they have pretending to be part of Pentatonix would also be very good as the Claude Rains character. Or like Billy Eichner. But I think Jake Gyllenhaal nails it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. I, I know this is sort of like a, a weird place to sort of call it but like you know do we have any other thoughts on on Casablanca I feel like I'm um, showing my hand as being such a vapid person that all I care about is Claude Rains character um like, this but, movie is this this movie has is I I really want to I'm really excited to watch it re-watch it later on and reabsorb it at a like like later on because you know when with some movies you watch it once or twice and you feel like that's all you're ever going to get from the movie mm-hmm. that's all that, that's it mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, i can only i can only get so much out of transformers or or ninja turtles that kind of thing but sometimes with other movies you re-watch it and it hits you differently or you see notice something different and it's um you appreciate it in a new way mm-hmm. i do think Casablanca is one of those movies that you might have to go back and rewatch in order to re to appreciate it in a new way, to mm-hmm. understand it from a new perspective, whatever it may be. So I'm really excited to reevaluate that one in in a year or two, so or longer. What else? Yeah, yeah, I would love to have it sit with me and see how we are in the state of the nation yeah. and see how this movie comes back and feels. Oh, and I love the purposeful um, casting. Ryan, like, real, so oh. weird. Go ahead. Like, Tony Todd's like 60, 70 years old. I also love Tony Todd and everything. <laughs> sure. But, like, he's like, like 70 he's years old. old but <laughs> um, uh, but the, whoever casted this movie, it was the studios or whatnot, they were very purposeful in having so many refugees as part of the making of this movie. All the actors that played the Nazis were actually um, Jewish ref- refugees. Yes, yeah, yeah. And they took the, these characters, these roles very seriously, which I appreciate. And that really came through. Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing that, how that, and I, and, and I really wonder how it felt to portray these characters and film this in real life. I would actually love to see a documentary on the making of this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because apparently there was like a weird, wacky process to make this happen. And the, the release and how it won awards and, and Oscars and everything. But I would really love to see how this came to fruition. I would really like to just watch more Claude Rains movies because the thirst <laughs> is real. So real. I also always thought, my final thing is, I guess I never understood that Sam was a different character um, than, A, Humphrey Bogart, because he's so famous as Sam Spade that I thought played against Sam was a reference to, like, 
played again this guy who owns the bar and is played by Humphrey Bogart. And secondly, I also just assumed after that that Sam was uh, the guy who he has a beautiful friendship with. No, two totally different people, th- three totally different characters. I loved Sam. Sam was like, I, I like I could like get a whole uh, like off offshoot thing of Sam's adventures because he's, yeah. he's he is he's such a well traveled character and he seems like he has a bunch of stories of his own to tell and his interactions with people and everything because he is. Some, all- some rude to him honestly i was like weirdly because i guess i thought that he was the one that rick was supposed to be friends with but like rick doesn't really treat him like a friend he's like play that again and he's like i don't feel like it and he's like you do that if she can do it it. he was like kind of rude and like not very cool to sam uh sam just saying well again sam was a demand not a question for him it was more like like an boss employee relationship that just so happened to also be friendly i feel like she was like cool with sam but like he wasn't cool he treated sam like shit it's just my honest opinion um alex we have we have an exciting uh stuff lined up coming up in the next couple weeks because uh yes i think unless one of the people is in the chat right now so i hope we can confirm this but we want to confirm that next tuesday just jumping right over the logical step from casablanca is we're going to have on uh, Ryan Payne talking about Speed Racer, a movie I've never seen. The most logical movie to follow up with Casablanca. Having not seen it, all I can say is it it seems like very tonally similar. Uh, So that's going to be interesting. (laughs) Uh, Um, And Christina Ricci's in it. Yeah, I love Christina Ricci. I think she's fantastic. I love Emil Hirsch. John Goodman, he's fantastic. But this is a movie that's a very, it's very, has a very divided uh, yep. <laughs> um, response. A lot of people love it. A lot of people hate it. Well, it'd be interesting to go back and watch after, like, The Matrix Resurrections to see, like, you know, because there's been this sort of resurgence of, like, maybe the Wachowskis were more right than we knew, or, like, some people have an even more negative response to them. Although, I do love me some Jupiter Ascending. You and Bibbs, huh? Dude, I, no, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna say Jupiter Ascending is the best movie ever. Oh, gosh. That'd be weird if you did. I'm never gonna say it's something that it's not. I'm just gonna tell you it's a weird, fun sci-fi epic movie eddie, eddie redmayne has the funniest voice in that movie so weird and i'm like eddie redmayne's clearly having a good time wow yeah. um there's a dog boy warrior person that that's a protector fighter yeah um, channing and, and juju juice with mila kunis is how i think mila i described kunis. it once to Vinny. then after kirby she's in it in one of her first big screen roles i still don't know who that is Vanessa Kirby. I know she was nominated last or two years um, ago. Okay. Vanessa Kirby. Um, she was in the most recent Mission Impossible movie as the White Widow. As like, like the oh, Widow or White Spider or something. White Widow. Whatever her name. She's. It's not Black Widow. I remember it's not Black. It's something White something. White Spider. White Tarantula. White. I don't. I don't know. Regardless, is it because she's white, or is it because of another? She like constantly dresses in white. It's like a whole thing. She was in Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, she's the sister in Hobbs yeah. and Shaw. Okay, then yeah, I got it. For like a hot minute. But Mila Kunis at one point, she's like, I like dogs. Dags. <laughs> I like dogs. I like dogs. I like dogs. <laughs> like, it's so weird. And I appreciate that. But I will never say it's like Star Wars or something. Never so- so I think that that's going to be really fun. I think uh, in the upcoming weeks, too, we have a movie that's going to be coming on from um, 
Another patron of ours is going to be coming on to talk about a movie. Uh, that's Brennan Marr. So guys, remember, uh, well, I can go over this when we go over our, you know, our, our plugs, but you can come on Cinema Bias. You join up at the Patreon, patreon.com backslash video drew. There's a tier amount there. You have different benefits. And one of them, you can come on the show and talk about a movie that you want to show me and Alex. And if one or both of us have not seen it, we will discuss. Um, White Widow. Drew is right. Yeah, it sounded right. Black Widow, White Widow. Yeah. Mm. Uh, awesome. Um, where can people find you, Alex? Guys, you can find me up here making really bad puns and um, stuff and mm -hmm. sharing random threads on movie threads regarding my opinions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I have like a 10, um, 10 tweet thread on Eternals on questions that I need answered. Oh my God. I cannot wait to read that. <laughs> and also like I, when, when you read that, please like know that I actually kind of appreciate the movie, but I have like, I have so many questions I'm like what, <laughs> but um, if that's something you're into, please give me a follow on Twitter. That'd be much appreciated. Yep. And I am video Drew, Drew Grant. Um, I have a bunch of stuff coming up, but also check out Content Candy. It's my podcast network that I do with uh, Nerd Chronic. We have shows like Garmin Shosia with me and Lon Harris. Uh, shows like Salty Popcorn Reviews with me and uh, Eric. We have the Video Chronicles. Mm -hmm. We are going to be launching some stuff soon. Um, also, guys, I have, yeah. And we also have like our shows like Cinema Bias and stuff will be uploaded there. Why are we like this? Live in the dark whenever I get back to doing that. Uh, also, hit the like and subscribe on this channel. As if you leave a comment, here's the thing. No one's taking me up on this. If you leave a good comment on our podcast thing, which really helps boost up our, our ratings and traffic, I will endorse you for whatever you want on LinkedIn. Are you motherfuckers not using LinkedIn? It's like it's my best social. It's my favorite social networking app at this point. I use it more than I use Twitter. You can also just like a just like leave a thing and we'll just like read out your review. Pause yeah. it on. Yeah. Twitter. But you have to let us know that that's what you've done, so I so I know it exists. Yeah, that would be much appreciated. But please, do uh, please do that. Uh, also, you're already on this channel, so please like and subscribe. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. Uh, Thursday, we are going to be doing a Casa. Uh, knock on wood, we are doing a Casablanca uh, video chronic pop culture quiz. This is uh, as a request of one of the patrons. That's something else you can request from the Patreon. Uh, uh, Garth uh, has requested. Casablanca, we have had to put it off a couple times. We have a bunch of people joining us for that one. So if if uh, health allows, we will be doing that on Thursday at 8 p.m. PT, right? I think it's 8. That sounds right. Um, and other than that, guys, um, I have a piece coming out for Fangoria pretty soon. Two pieces, it looks like, will be coming out for Fangoria pretty soon. So check out for those. It's an interview with the writers of Scream and then um, the writer-directors of, of several features, including the upcoming Moon Knight. Um, it looks like I'll be doing an interview with them as well. Aaron Moorhead and Justin B. Henson. They also did Synchronic and a bunch of other movies. They've done that show, Archive 81. Um, so I'll let people know when those goes up. But it's really exciting. It's my first interviews in a while. So I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we will yeah. see you guys next week. And until then, keep it sleazy. Bye.